Hello, this is Doug, your Weather of the Mind audio editor. Before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to mention that upon initial release of this episode, uh, some listeners found it to be too heavy, too depressing. The episode's really about the ebbs and flows of life and how that is an assumption that we all kind of know at this point, and we can just, we don't have to prove that. We can go from here, you know? That everyone fights their battles, and I, I talked about losing uh, an acquaintance to an overdose, and then I read a piece I wrote many years ago about attending a suicide funeral. So this is kind of a heavy episode, so maybe this is not the right day or time or week for you, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. All right, have a great one. Onward. Hello and welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. Today, we are talking about the mission of the school. We're talking about it further, talking about some of the core assumptions of the Weather of the Mind school. In the last episode, we talked about the mission of the school. Actually, that was two episodes ago. We talked about the mission of the school. We talked about nurture healthy growth, nurturing healthy growth. That's what we're trying to do here. Nurture healthy growth for individuals, for couples, for families, for schools, for workplaces, for individuals and social systems that we're part of. How do we nurture healthy growth, especially with respect to emotional health, but also physical health, not trying to uh, separate things, trying to have a holistic view, but certainly focused on practical skills and emotional health as as the foundation to a good life. And, and wondering why are these not taught more to us in schools or perhaps even in our families? Practical skills and basic emotional skills, which is another part of the practical skills. So I'm trying to, what we're trying to do here is imagine and create a school that is founded on practical skills and emotional health. So if we take that mission, nurture healthy growth, I would say that today I want to lay out the first assumption. And for the first assumption, it's going to be really simple. And I want you to picture it as a symbol first. And hopefully that will stick in your mind as a reminder. The symbol for the first assumption, as I draw it, is a meandering line. It almost looks like a graph going up and then down and up and then down. Or a river flowing back and forth and back and forth. Or, or the waves of the oceans up and down, crest to trough, crest to trough. So it's this meander. And I say for this episode, the title, what do I call this guy? Life meanders for us all. Assumption number one of the Weather of the Mind School. Life meanders for each and every one of us. Okay? Life meanders. Life meanders. And I think this is a really important assumption, but also one of the the core foundations of the school is recognizing this and building upon this. Because I feel like this is a, one of those extremely important truths that just isn't properly explained or expounded upon 
for most people until they're forced to learn it on their own. And learning it on your own is perhaps the most powerful and the most painful way to learn some of these lessons. So the thinking is we can have a healthier society, a healthier culture, if we're teaching people some of these skills that they're eventually learning in therapy. So assumption never one, life meanders for us all. This, this episode is especially poignant because I, I heard of a few, a few people we lost this week, a friend to a lot of friends of mine and an acquaintance of mine who we lost to over to an overdose this week, a guy in his late thirties. And it just, I have the same feeling I had years ago when I sat up in the pews of the chapel at Cornell University during some of the ceremonies that were held for some of the students who, who killed themselves with suicide that year. This is back in 2003. There's a feeling of, we didn't have to lose this person. This person was just going through one of their troughs and if we had enough support, this person could have pulled through and, and perhaps still lived a good life. So I want to read this excerpt that I wrote a number of years ago, a little reflection as I sat in the service of someone who had killed themselves. And I don't mean to equate overdose with suicide because they're not the same, but there is overlap. There is a level of despair, I believe, and, and desperation in both situations. And perhaps both situations, not enough social support to pull pull the individual through the struggle. So here we go, a little uh, two-page excerpt. So cozy in for a minute, let me read read to you. This is my younger voice writing. Here I am again. I've been to this service before. I do not even know this girl, but I know the scene. These campus ceremonies have become all too common for me. I observe the family, their postures draped in sadness, confusion, their eyes filled with the weight of sleepless nights. They carry the burden of a lost member of their family, a lost daughter, a lost sister, a lost granddaughter. I sit in the old wooden pew waiting for the ceremony to begin. The mighty organ sends forth its musical condolences, breaking through the silence that has filled the room. Small flecks of light sneak through stained glass windows, diluting the darkness. Being at a funeral, and especially a suicide funeral, and sitting alone can be a lonely place. Ironically, I am there out of feelings of connection. I feel connection to this person who I did not know personally, but I knew her situation, and I feel the need to be there and show my support to keep this struggle at the forefront of my mind. I look around at other people sitting solemnly around the chapel. There are people clumped here and there. I presume small aggregates of friends and classmates. What grabs my attention are those who, who, like me, sit alone. I am particularly intrigued by these characters. Do they know her? Were they classmates? Do they attend because they are curious? Do they attend out of a solidarity, out of a connection to the struggle? Do they also share my frustration, my constant wondering? Why do we keep losing people to suicide? I attend as a tribute. I attend out of respect for the struggles of this girl before her death and 
for the struggles that the family and friends are faced with now. I attend because I cannot separate myself from this struggle. Despite the fact that I did not know her personally, I feel the weight. I feel that our campus community has failed to offer the support. When one kills themselves, it exposes a weakness, a vulnerability in the community. This is the fourth suicide in a half year on this campus. When is this no longer considered acceptable? When will we stop scapegoating the individual and start acknowledging the societal aspects, the community failings? When do we acknowledge that this is out of control? The portion of the ceremony that hits me the hardest is when the relatives and friends give the eulogies, the verbal tribute to the life of this person, her father, her sister, and then a parade of friends stand up in the carved wooden pulpit and share beautiful anecdotes of her generosity, the tales of her joking around at a party last week, reflections on her devotion to her studies and her relentless respect for her family. This is too hard. Why do I put myself through this? I don't have to be here, but I remain and feel the pain deeper, knowing this is not a problem I can turn away from. As I listen, I place all the stories together, small mental photographs, a collage, a visual tribute to this person's spirit and presence in the world. I imagine meeting this young woman and talking to her on campus, a normal young woman, a graduate student who came here to study from her home in Korea. I hear her voice through these stories, and her words are not unusual. She seems to me to be like most people I know. I begin to feel that the way I feel at these ceremonies, deeply frustrated, for I know this should not have happened. This was not inevitable. She did not die from a predetermined genetic disease. She just got sick, mentally sick. And when people get sick, they seek help, and they take time to rest and heal, and they return stronger than ever. We hope, at least. Unfortunately, in this campus community and the broader American society, without the proper supports for connection, this mental sickness is too common. And without the proper supports for healing, the mental sickness too often becomes fatal. I remember when I wrote this in 2003, I was writing a draft for a book called Emotional Homelessness, the Breakdown and Recovery of Local Community and the Effect on Our Minds. Really, you know, exploring that we're social beasts and we need the extended family or some version of such to be healthy humans. We need support and and so many are without much support these days. So we need all hands on deck when it comes to equipping students and children and young adults and all types of adults and everybody with a a full set of skills to understand their emotional ebbs and flows, to understand that life meanders for us all. And if we teach this at a young age and if we learn this at any age and we keep on spending time with this, we picture that meandering river, we picture that up and down graph. We remember that for every person you meet today, like Plato said, be kind because everyone's fighting a battle. Everyone has their ups and downs. Everyone has their challenges. And we can step back and not only reflect on our friend or our neighbor going through their ups and downs, we can step back and almost step away, 
take, take a few steps back from our own ebbs and flows, our own ups and downs, when we can remember that what goes down must go up, and what goes up must come down, that everything is ebbing and flowing, if we can practice that, that realization, that gives us great, great strength. Great strength, because we begin to develop this place where we can step out of the ebb and flow and just be calm, reset, recharge. So, we lose people, losing people is part of life, but we're losing people to overdose, losing people to suicide. So it's interesting, when I was writing this, this book in 2003, Emotional Homelessness, a book that I wrote a few chapters of and then tried to sell to agents and did and got some bites, but did not get a book deal. And then the book, uh, did this book never got finished. But there are parts of it, and I'll, I'll share them soon, and I shared that part today. There are parts of it that are still quite valuable. But what's interesting that in 2003, I was trying to convince the reader that there was a challenge. Like, hey guys, listen up. Anxiety, depression, addiction, like... They're kind of, they're more common than you think they are. This is, everyone's dealing with this thing to, to some extent in, our, in each of our families. And that was like 15, 16, 17 years ago. And now I feel that I, I don't have to make that point. I don't have to convince people this is a problem anymore. I feel like most people, and this is what I said back then. I said, hey, I can give you numbers. I can say 30,000 people committed suicide this year. I can say 40,000. Does that really make a difference to you, the individual? No, it's still thousands of people committed suicide. What's important is for us to reflect on our families, on our minds, on our relationships, on what we observe firsthand. And when we look around, do we see health or do we see unhealth? We see both. But how do we feed the healthy aspects and how do we reduce some of the unhealthy aspects? I mean, this is what we have to look at. If we want to evaluate emotional health presently and moving forward, we have to have a holistic view. So let's think about, you know, we're trying to do here in this Weather Mind pod and this Weather of the Mind school is nurture healthy growth. And we're going to start with that assumption that life meanders for us all. Another way of putting it, it's got to be respected. Cause what? Cause life is hectic. That was Wu Tang. They were they were calling this out eloquently in the '90s. They know what's up. They're dropping some knowledge. It's got to be respected. It's got to be respected that life is hectic. Ah, uh, life is hectic. Yeah, I have some respect. No, you got to respect that. You are going to have highs and lows. It's got to be respected. Life is hectic. Life meanders for us all. Well, it's time to bring this episode to a close. While editing, I realized that I've been misquoting this Wu-Tang song for years. The lyricist Inspected Deck actually says it's got to be accepted that life is hectic. And I've been saying all these years, it's got to be respected that life is hectic. I think the essence rings true and I hope that we can take this thought and this meandering image. 
It's got to be accepted. It's got to be respect that life meanders for us all. Echoing Plato's, be kind because everyone's fighting a battle. Let's think, think of that image. Let's draw that little image in our notebooks this week. A little meandering river. Life meanders for us all. Everyone, we're trying to keep positive. We're trying to live and learn week to week. We're in this together. Keep hydrated. Keep exercising. Keep positive. Bye-bye.